Welcome into the 48 Minutes Podcast by Believe, where you stay up to date in 48 on all things NBA. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside my two co-hosts and Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B, Michael Freer. This is episode number 25, the Big Al, Al Jefferson episode. Guys, how are we doing tonight? I thought it was the KC Jones episode. Oh, well... You know, I had I had to keep you off guard there, keep you on your toes, and go with a Charlotte legend. Will be wow. any thoughts on Big Al? Oh, I'm I'm a fan. I I I've always liked him. I I liked him when he showed up in uh in uh Charlotte. So no, I have no problems with him. Hey, you know, if it wasn't for Big Al, the Celtics would have never gotten Kevin Garnett. He was in Absolutely. that trade. Yep. Yeah. Very true. And Bruce, uh, we'll let you get started off here tonight with our opening tip. Thank you, Ross. Thank you, World B. Luka Doncic just turned 24 years old last month. He's going to the Hall of Fame. He's the second youngest player that I ever was convinced was going to Springfield. The youngest, of course, LeBron James. When the Mavericks traded for Kyrie Irving, I didn't like the deal or what the future held for that combo. So far, it really hasn't made the team better for a number of reasons. The Mavericks are 5-7 and seven in games Kyrie has played and 3-7 and seven in the games Luka and Kyrie have played together. Luka's been playing through an injured thigh, so once again, it might be on Kyrie to carry a team where his fellow star is injured. It'll be very interesting to see if Kyrie can keep the team afloat if Luka misses time, but given how two straight losses in the Western Conference can be so damaging because of the tightness of the playoff race, he can really increase his free agency stock if he can lead the team on a winning streak. And luckily for Kyrie, three of the Mavs' next five games are against Memphis, and it's likely that John Morant will miss at least two of them. Well, I'm feeling pretty optimistic tonight, Bruce, and uh, I'm going to say that the Mavs will be just fine. They were looking really good when Kyrie Irving just came back uh, and and joined this team uh, with the Dallas Mavericks. So I think they're actually going to get back onto a run here with just Kyrie and not have that duo out there. And... uh, We'll, we'll see what happens, but I, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about it. World B, what's your opening tip here tonight? Well, I'm going to talk about the Memphis Grizzlies here. We're going to get more into them uh, in our show here in a little bit. But there's been, you know, the big news has been the John Moran situation, how he's away from the team, and we all know the circumstances. And the Grizzlies have been struggling of late, and a lot of it has fallen on John Moran just being connected to their slide. But in reality, the biggest key for them may have been the loss of uh, Steven Adams. Uh, yes. He went down. He hasn't played. Uh, he hasn't played since January 22nd. And when he was there, he was the league's number one offensive rebounder. He gets about five offensive rebounds a game. And that was Memphis's big game. They're not a great shooting team. They grab beyond the boards. And he was the big reason when he went down, they were the number two team in offensive rebounding. Since he came back, or since he's been out, excuse me, they're now 26th in offensive rebounds and 24th in second-chance points. They were second in both when he got hurt. So John Morant is a big story. They've had a bunch of other injuries. But Stephen Adams may be the biggest key for the reason that they're sliding so much. Hey, World B, they were talking about this a little bit on the TNT pregame show tonight. That's the early game. And uh, Ernie pointed out, uh, so I'm going to give him credit, when – Steven Adams went down, the the uh, the Grizzlies were plus six in rebounding average per game. Now, in the games he's missed, they're minus six. And he averages 11.5 rebounds. So he is the total reason they went from plus six to minus six in rebounding. And I could not agree with you more. It's been an enormous loss for them. Yeah, great point there, Will B. And I know that we'll be talking about the Memphis Grizzlies a little later on in today's show. Um, as for me, this one hits close to home, literally here in Phoenix, as Wednesday night was all set to be Kevin Durant's highly anticipated Suns home debut. And instead, the narrative abruptly shifted to the game becoming Dario Saric's return game. Kevin Durant took a spill on a layup attempt during warmups and then was ruled out with ankle soreness. Star injuries and resting obviously has been a huge topic of a conversation this NBA season, but this one certainly takes the cake as the most unfortunate one of all. I can't imagine being one of those Suns fans shelling out top dollar for tickets, super excited for the game, maybe even catching Kevin Durant warming up in the pregame line and then him going down with that injury. So, 
you know, hopefully this freak accident isn't anything serious for KD. I know we got some news on that today that we will discuss here after my tip. Um, but man, what a bummer Wednesday night was for Suns fans. And uh, kind of want to roll this right into our first quarter, fellas. And and let's talk about the storm clouds that rolled into the valley uh, here on Wednesday. What were your thoughts on uh, the Kevin Durant accident? Well, you know, they, they said today that he's going to be reevaluated in three weeks, which means he's not coming back in three weeks. I think we're yeah. looking at him pretty much being done for the regular season, and we'll all keep our fingers crossed that he's able to, you know, get back on the court in time for the playoffs. Uh, because if you think about it, they didn't just lose Kevin Durant. They lost Kevin Durant, they lost Mikhail Bridges, and they lost yeah. Cam Johnson because – if there was no Kevin Durant on the team, they would have had those two guys too. So really, it's kind of like they've lost much more than Kevin Durant, and it'll be up to the guys that are still playing, particularly Devin Booker, uh, to to kind of you know keep the ship afloat, uh, so to speak. Yeah, it's a it's a really uh, unfortunate situation. We're all looking for as as fans. We're anticipating what this impact would be on the Suns and the rest of the league. And it really just made the playoffs even more exciting uh, than we you know, were anticipating. And, you know, it's a shame because we mentioned in the previous episode, in episode 24, they were really clicking with him on the court. You know, him yeah. and Booker, were they were dominating offensively, 131 points per 100 possessions. I mean, it was really efficient offensively. And now, you know, it's it's a shame they they did all right uh, um, Wednesday night without him because you know they they're playing the the uh, Thunder who are just atrocious defensively since the break so maybe that's not uh, you know fair to gauge or whatever but they still put up a nice number uh, with him out but you know their next three games we're looking forward to it because of Kevin Durant but now now you're worried about well gee I wonder what's going to happen you know they get Sacramento on Saturday they got to go to Golden State which when you play at Golden State, you're playing a totally yeah. different team than what Memphis is facing to, on Thursday. And then you got Milwaukee. That's three games in four days against three really tough opponents. So, you know, they're, they're in a good spot in fourth place because of their nice little spurt they've had. But in the West, you get on a little slide and somebody else gets on a roll, you could find yourself from hosting to trying to stay out of the play-in tournament. So, and their schedule down the stretch is really – if he is going to be gone for a while, it's going to be tough for them. They get two more games with Sacramento, two more with the Lakers, who they could end up you know, battling uh, to get in the, in the playoffs, one more with the Clippers, who are in a battle to get in the playoffs. Then you get Philly. You get the Warriors. You get the Bucks, You get the Nuggets. That's a tough slate. I think the only team that – or there's two games they play against – opponents that are out of it and I think one of them is the Spurs and the other the Magic so everybody else is going to have playoff implications in there somewhere so there, as Bruce said they were fine when he had Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson and these guys to fall back on when somebody got injured but now you don't have that now it's on Booker now it's on Chris Paul and you know let's see what they can do yeah I mean we'll definitely have to keep an eye on that one thing I wanted to add on this real quick is just the fact that if I'm looking at a glass half full with the Suns, I think Kevin Durant joining the team really helped Devin Booker find that stride and confidence that he had earlier on this year. We had talked about Anthony Davis uh, having a great start to the season, being a top five MVP candidate. Devin Booker was right in there too. And he is playing like an MVP right now. He played like one last night. Of course, OKC was on the second night of a back-to-back in Phoenix. Um, but you know, I think Devin Booker is going to be much more motivated just to continue what he started the season doing and proving that this is still his team. You know, there's not going to be one person that can you, you can plug into the lineup and say, okay, you know, well, how, how can he? Obviously not. So last night or on uh, on Wednesday night, Torrey Craig started in place of him, and he only scored three points. But then Terrence Ross came off the bench, was playing like double the minutes he usually played, and put uh, 24 up on the board. So I think, you know, Ross and World B, we've talked about Terrence Ross and what his potential impact could be on that team on some prior shows. Well, now Terrence really is going to get an opportunity to step up because with those other guys that we mentioned no longer on the team, he's somebody that can get you buckets, and he's going to need to. 
And he he he'll have fresh legs too because he did not get a lot of time in Orlando at the end. They they had him next to the water cooler for whatever reason because uh, he you know he was productive with them, but they really wanted to go youth and whatever. So he he's got plenty of energy, or he should, to uh, step up with increased minutes. Hey, and can I? I uh, I'm I'm sorry, ahead, Ross. I I just like to kind of make a comment on again when. And we've talked about this with LeBron James in the past when he's wanted the team to make trades to win now, okay? And this is obviously one of those moves for Phoenix. But just here's a few numbers on KD and some of the games that he's missed in recent years, okay? And I think this will kind of illustrate why a move like this, with although it potentially could get you a title, it could also set your franchise back. So KD is now 34 years old. It's in his 16th season, all right? He was pretty durable his first 12 years, okay? He missed some games, but he didn't miss large amounts of games. But the last four seasons, we know he missed the entire 1920 season, right, after the Achilles in the in the final. So he missed the entire – so he missed 82 games there. And in the three seasons after that, in 2021, he missed 47 games. In 21-22, he missed 27 games. And in 22-23 so far, he's missed uh, 22. So that's a total of 178 missed games over the past four seasons with more to come because, you know, he's going to miss 10, 15 more. So really, that just goes to show you that you better win now when you get somebody like that because Father Time will get him eventually. Hey, was anybody surprised at when you watched the video on Wednesday – how he's in this situation because it did not look that serious when he went down. I I, I saw the video. I thought well, they're taking him out. They're going to sit him for a precaution because it was a scary thing or whatever, but he was hopping. He continued his workout, pregame workout routine for a little bit, you know, as you watch the video. And then all of a sudden he's, he's sitting out. Okay. It's a precautionary thing. And now he's, you know, likely going to be out the rest of the regular season. You're like, what did I miss in the video? I, I, he looked. I'm not questioning it by any means. I'm just surprised that it's that serious, given what I saw. My my only guess is that he had adrenaline pumping. Of course, you know he had the, the big yeah. crowd there to watch him warm up, which is uh, a big deal. He was probably fired up to play in front of the yep. Phoenix crowd. And you know, with when you roll an ankle, a lot of that swelling happens when you take the shoe off. So I think once he he kind of put his legs up and rested a little bit. Maybe that's when the swelling or the pain started to really uh, take its notes uh, on his body. But, you know, the one thing I want to talk about real quickly here is we mentioned this when this trade happened. Of course, I think you make this move 10 times out of 10 times. You got, When you get a chance to get a guy like Kevin Durant in a situation that Phoenix is in currently and having just been to the finals two years ago, you make this move. But we talked about it. The biggest risk was – you know, them staying healthy, Kevin Durant and, and Chris Paul specifically. This was one of the risks. Bruce, I'm glad you brought up the game's miss because, you know, KD's got a lot of miles on him. I mean, he's been in the league 16 years. Uh, you know, he's always pretty much made the playoffs. So he's been playing longer into seasons. He's played in the Olympics. And let's also not forget he's seven foot. I mean, a lot of seven footers have problems staying healthy later on in their careers. And, of course, KD's a Hall of Fame legendary exception you know, as a seven footer, as one of the greatest shooters uh, at his size. But I mean, he's still seven foot. And sometimes I think we we kind of forget just kind of, you know, the miles that are on him. And, and, and that was the risk going going into this. So, you know, that's that's one thing I've tried to ease Suns fans on that have reached out to me. It's like, you know, I think he'll be OK to go. But like, just remember, this was this was the risk you took. Yeah. And I mean, it in in. When you see something like this with KD in season number 16, it just makes it all the more remarkable that LeBron James can be as effective as he is because he went to the finals, what, 10 years in a row? And so he's played like three additional seasons worth of playoff (laughs) games on top of 20 regular season. Uh, So it's just remarkable that these guys with the longevity that they have. But again, where LeBron, you know, is built like a Mack truck, KD is a little bit more slender, obviously, the Slim Reaper, right? Um, So, you know, there's pluses and minuses to that. I mean, the pluses is that when he goes up to jump, 
He doesn't have as much torque, doesn't have as much, you know, on his on his joints and knees and feet, etc. But still, he also doesn't have like the the physical body mass because he goes to the foul line a lot. He takes his hit share of hits too. Whereas LeBron guys bounce off him. None really worked that way with KD. So the the you know, we're all just hoping that we can see some positive version of KD for the playoffs because it's not just a letdown for the Phoenix fans. It's a letdown for basketball fans. Well said there, Bruce. Definitely agree there. And hopefully uh, all things work out for KD and the Suns as uh, that would be an exciting playoff push having him in the mix in Phoenix. Well, staying with the Western Conference here, let's get to our second quarter and talk about the Memphis Blues with the Grizzlies, that is. They are just 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games. World B, I'm going to start with you. Here, tell us uh, your thoughts on kind of the the Grizzlies falling off here. Yeah, it's it's been um, a real surprise. I mean, the injuries uh, we mentioned, I mentioned at the top about Stephen Adams that injury. We didn't realize it was going to be that impactful, uh, but it certainly has been. And John Morant uh, being out of lineup for you know various reasons. Dylan Brooks had to be you know was suspended. For a game, you don't want that at this time of the year. They're just a completely uh, different team, especially offensively. You know, they only lost 13 games in their first 44 games. And now in their last 20, they've lost 13 games. So it's really been a slide. They've gone from solid second battling with the Nuggets for first, and now they're tied for second with the Kings uh, entering Thursday. And you know, the last 20 games, they're 27th in offensive efficiency. They're 28th in effective field goal percentage. And, you know, the last four games without Morant, they've lost. So you don't know how, you know, the longer he goes out, you you wonder how that's going to go. You know, they, they Thursday, they started off really well. Uh, we mentioned they had, uh, on Tuesday night, they scored 46 points in the second half and a loss to the Lakers. So what they do on Thursday night in the first quarter, they put 48 on the board against uh, the Warriors. So they just uh, – it's really – it's a mess right now in Memphis. As you mentioned and as we discussed at the top of the show when you were making your opening comment, um, the the rebounds that, that they're missing with, with Stephen Adams are certainly a big part of the problem. And as you have mentioned numerous times on our podcast this year, World B, there are Bad shooting team, but because they were monsters on the boards, it helped them be more efficient. They were getting a lot, you know, they were getting their share of points. But now, okay, with Adams gone, 11.6 rebounds. With Brandon Clark gone, 5.5 rebounds a game. And with John Morant, six rebounds a game out of the lineup, they're now minus 23.1 rebounds per game. And they are not making those numbers up. I mean, there's nobody that's going to get those numbers back up to that level for them. So really, these guys better learn how to shoot very much better than they have so far because they could find themselves like just plunging down down the Western Conference ladder. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you brought up the shooting, Bruce, because I wanted to talk about one of their shooters and Dylan Brooks, who was suspended for a game. That suspension came because he already picked up his 16th technical foul on the season. That's just uncalled for, unacceptable, uh, especially given the circumstances. He's got to be smarter out there knowing he's got number 15 and the next one draws a su- suspension. He's a huge part to this group as is, even bigger part of this group, with John Morant, Stephen Adams, and and some of the other uh, positional players out of the lineup, and uh, it just seems like in these last couple of weeks, there's just been some knucklehead decisions, to put it lightly, on, on a few guys on this team, and it and it's starting to cost them outside of just missing Adams and Brandon Clark and some other guys due to injury. And you know, he can he can end up really getting punked by somebody and picking up a double technical foul yep. because he can be he's a pretty hot headed guy at times, right? very emotional player. And I could easily see him like losing his focus. Let's say it wasn't the word I was originally going to start with, Uh, but, (laughs) but, but some guy, you know, hits him with an elbow. He retaliates double technical. That's another game. I could easily see that happening with him at least one time, if not more in the last four and a half weeks of the season. You know, on the court, they, 
they've been a disaster Memphis has in the fourth quarter. Since the All-Star break, they've been getting outscored by 69 total points since the All-Star break in the fourth quarter. That's a ridiculous number for any team, but a team that's as good as Memphis, it's it's hard to fathom. But it gets really bad when you think about the next team behind them for the most points given up. It's actually two. It's Portland and uh, the Spurs. Not exactly. They're 30 points. It's minus 37 scoring margin for them in the fourth quarter. The Memphis is minus 69 in the fourth quarter. That's a difference of 32 points between them and the next and number 29 on the list. That's a ridiculous. They're just getting hammered in the fourth quarter. So anybody watching the game on Thursday night, you know, seeing it's like a seven or eight point game after three, stay tuned because it's not over yet. (laughs) You know, there is a little bit of good news, though, from Memphis. I think, you know, we want to balance things a little bit. Tyus Jones has been excellent in place of Morant. I mean, in the two games uh, since Ja has been out, he's had 41 points, 20 and a half a game, okay? Granted, they were both losses. But this guy, I mean, he's an eight-year veteran. He's a very, you know, smart player. He doesn't hurt you. He's no Ja Morant, obviously. But, uh, you know... He's uh, he's somebody who's really, I think, showing signs of being able to step up. And then when Ja comes back, you know, he's always been pretty good. But now he's playing, you know, more meaningful minutes and larger volume of minutes. So uh, good job, Tyus Jones. You know, keep it up. He's actually been one of the league leaders every year in assist to turnover ratio because he never turns it over. I think in the games that, that Ja's missed it, he's had to start. I don't think he's had a turnover yet. It's wow. been that impressive. The problem for Memphis is when he goes to the bench now, they, who do they have to take over for his minutes? He used to be a guy who took over for Jaws' minutes, but now Jaws out. Tyus comes in, does a great job, as you said, Bruce, but then who takes over when he has to sit? And that's one of the reasons that they're struggling. Their offense gets really bad when uh, Tyus is out. And, and I think it's important to keep in mind, I saw this on the pregame show before that Lakers game on Tuesday night. This is a Grizzlies team that succeeded last year, even when Ja was absent, when he got injured last year. Uh, They had the stat on the screen. The Grizzlies have actually won 60% of their games with Ja Morant out. So much credit, uh, as you alluded to, Bruce, to Tyus Jones. He has stepped up whenever it's been needed. He's continuing to do so. And, uh, you know, fortunately, they're able, you know, hopefully they'll be able to uh, withstand this, this rocky uh, road that they're currently on right now. Of course, they're back at home uh, here as of taping Thursday night, and they got an eight-point lead over the Warriors at the start of the fourth quarter. But, um, yeah, lots of cause for concern. Um, I think Taylor Jenkins is doing the best job that he can. Uh, I think it, it comes down to the players, right? They need to look themselves in the mirror, and, you know, they got to do some soul-searching themselves of, you know, how bad do they do they want it this year? I think it's, it's, it's up to the players to – to get this figured out. And as we know, defense is all about effort. Luckily for them, you know, their next four games, even in their current state might be, you know, they have a very legitimate chance to go three after tonight, after Thursday night, that is, they have a legitimate chance to win three of the following four. They get Dallas twice home and home. They're at Miami. That could be a win. And they're at San Antonio, which could be a win. So if they can kind of come out of this, somehow or another in the next five, including tonight, going three and two, four and one, then I think they will have sort of, you know, steadied the ship at least until they get job back. Yep, totally agree there. And uh, with that, we've reached our halftime buzzer. So we'll take a quick break and come back with you for the second half. And we're back for the start of the Second half here, we'll get going with our third quarter, and uh, let's go ahead and discuss the refs and players in conflict. Most recently, Fred Van Fleet had post-game comments late uh, Wednesday night in regards to how his game against the Los Angeles Clippers was officiated. Of course, uh, the game before that for Toronto, uh, Scott Foster tossed Scotty Barnes in that game in Denver, which was a pivotal key moment in that one that kind of swung the tide for uh, the Nuggets to win that one at home. Um, Bruce, I'm going to get started with you on this. Get your thoughts on, on what do you think of uh, the refs and players that are, are currently uh, starting to speak out against one another? Well, this whole deal with Fred Van Vliet getting teed up near the end of the game and letting loose on the refs, I don't think that technical foul changed the momentum of the game. They were down a bunch, and I don't. I think he was really – 
kind of making a much bigger deal out of that uh, than he should have. And certainly getting personal with Ben Taylor with that stream of profanity. Generally, when you go off on the refs after a game, the going rate over the years has been 35 grand for the fine. I think the NBA should be doubling it for this one because of all the profanity. I would be shocked if he only got a $35,000 fine. I could, I could, you know, see it being, you know, 70,000. All right. Because that's not acceptable. I mean, look, I use profanity as much as the next guy, although I try to keep it clean on this show. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) For now. For, for, yeah, well, you know, well, if the Celtics lose eight in a row, we'll see if I can stick to that. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's, you know, it's nothing new. I mean, players complain all the time. And the Celtics are one of the worst offenders. I mean, Grant Williams never shuts his mouth. And I think it's stupid for players to do this because, number one, no player has ever gotten a referee to say, oh, you know, you're right. I'll change the call. You know, you convinced me. That has happened never. It's never going to happen. And what it really achieves for the player is now the refs all got their eyes on you. They're going to look for anything that they can do. If it's a 50-50 call, if it's a block charge deal and you're Grant Williams, you're getting the whistle. They're not going to give you the benefit of the doubt. It's just not smart. And Jason Tatum used to be awful when it came to this stuff. He's toned it down for sure. And again, I think part of it's because he's getting some of those superstar calls now, so he doesn't have as much to complain about. But still, um, it's just so counterproductive. And while I can sympathize with the Raptors, more so over the Scotty Barnes deal the other night, because that was a one-point game with like a minute, less than a minute to go. And that one really did probably have more of an impact than the one on Van Vliet on uh, Wednesday night. Uh, But still, if you get personal and you say – as Foster said, verbiage which directly questioned the integrity integrity of the crew. It's just like, you know, just don't. Just shut your mouth. Yep. Will be? Well, it's clear that there's something personal between uh, Fred Van Lee and Ben Taylor. Uh, I looked up and I saw, I want to source this correctly. I will not use her name just because I would butcher it. And I don't want to, I'd feel bad if I did that. But her title is Associate Director for TSN Sports in Canada. And she tweeted out some numbers about Fred Blamvliet and uh, Ben Taylor. Fred has uh, eight technicals on the season. Five of those have come in games where Taylor was the official. And three of the technicals were directly resulted, were given by Fred Taylor, or Ben Taylor, excuse me. So, you, there's obviously something personal there between the two, at least in uh, Van Vliet's eyes. And I'm not going to you know, speculate on if it's legitimate or not, but those are the numbers. Uh, it's a really difficult, it's going to be a difficult problem for the NBA to figure this out because on the one hand, it has to defend the officials. You have to you know, maintain the integrity of the game. Nope. You know, the NBA more so than many of the other sports after the Tim Donahue fiasco a dozen years ago. Or so, so you need to you need to have their backs. But as much as we get tired about seeing the whining by players, and we all, you know, I, for every uh, Grant Williams, I got a Julius Randall for you, you know, complaining. And th- the players have more power these days than they probably ever have. You see it in the way they maneuver trade. You see it in the way they maneuver free agency. And there's almost a sense of entitlement sometimes in their, in how they whine about officiating. You know, it's going on forever. I get it. But, and maybe it's because every game is televised now, or maybe it used, you know, we could all see games before when it, we never used to, maybe we're just seeing more of it. Maybe it's always been that way. And that's fair if it is, but there's, a, there's somewhere it's gotta be fixed. I don't know what the answer is, but it's pretty clear that players are, are complaining like crazy. It's getting, or it's getting covered more than it ever has. But in the, in the NBA has to do something about it. You can't let them get continue to do it. You can't, as Bruce said, you can't let Fred, Fred Van Vliet call out Ben Taylor by name, no matter what the situation, you can't do it. You know, Bruce said, uh, you know, Fred said, oh, I, I expect a fine. I'll, I'll take care of the fine. Well, you may be dealing with more than just a fine after calling out an official. So I don't know where the answer is, but clearly something has to be done in the offseason because you, you can't let this happen, and you certainly don't want to see it become a, a factor in the playoffs. 
You know what really blows my mind with this is just uh, goes back to a basic strategy in basketball, especially when you're game planning and when you're on the floor is KYP, also known as know your personnel. Coaches, I can tell you from being on the inside on coaching staffs, they they look during morning shoot around. Who are the refs assigned? What do they like to call? What what are their tendencies? They talk about it at halftime, how the game is being called. Keep driving this way. Keep getting it into feed the post. They're calling it every time back to the basket. They're calling the the hand check or something. Little things. Players got to keep that perspective too. You got to know who you're dealing with. These all these players know all these refs and vice versa. You got to know your personnel. You got to know who you're talking to. And even in Scotty Barnes' case, I know he didn't say anything vulgar. At least it didn't seem like that from what Scott Foster said. But you got to know like the history of Scott Foster and how he calls games. And and you got to be smart about it. And I I just think a lot of uh, we're not holding the players accountable for how they're acting in these situations, not knowing who they're talking to or or what makes each ref tick? You got they got to keep that in mind. I know in the heat of battle, frustrations can take over and things of that nature. But I I I want to see the players be a little smarter, especially a guy like Fred Van Fleet, one of the smartest players in the league, in my opinion. I mean, he's one of the the, the craftiest heady point guards in the league. I think he's got to do a better job knowing who he's working with on a given night as an official, and, and, and keep that in in mind, no matter what the situation is on the floor. You guys have any thoughts? Yeah, these guys these guys need to take a page out of the Bruce Bowen playbook. Now, what's the Bruce Bowen playbook? <laughs> Bruce Bowen, as we know, was one of the chippiest players in the entire league. And I don't think he would even argue that point all that much. But here, and I, I'm good friends with Bruce. I worked with him for years, and I used to talk to him about this stuff all the time. I said, he told me, he's there, every game he played, he knew every referee's first name. At, before the game started, he'd walk up to them, he'd say hello, he'd shake their hand, he'd ask how their family was. In other words, he'd kiss up to them a little bit, okay? Mm-hmm. Which is just a completely smart thing to do. And it's so funny, because one time I was at a game with my son Adam, uh, and we were sitting next to Ronnie Nunn. Ronnie used to be the supervisor yep. of officials in the NBA for a long time, really nice guy. His daughter's actually married to a Mecca Okafer. Uh, Ilana, she used to work for the NBA. Yeah. Uh, Wonderful lady. My other son, Mitch, interned for her, but enough of my family stuff. Anyway, so I was was talking to Ronnie and he was grading the officials that night. He had his notebook and I was sitting next to him. It was actually a game against the Bucks, believe it or not. And uh, so one time Glenn Davis was playing defense and someone on Milwaukee went up for a shot and, you know, Glenn got in their landing space and came down and they called the foul on, on big baby. And I said to Ron, Ronnie, I said, Ronnie, that that's a Bruce Bowen special right there. He's there. Ah, Bruce, what a great guy. <laughs> so it was like, <laughs> so it was like Bruce knew how to, you know, play the mind games and, and he's a genuinely nice guy. He probably really did want to know how their families were. Cause he's a great family guy himself, but it just goes to show it's like anything in human nature. If you treat people right, you're going to probably get that sort of a treatment in return. And when you're constantly bitching and moaning or you're cursing guys out under your breath, whatever, you don't think they don't notice that and you don't think they're going to remember that? I mean, come on. Yeah, totally agree there. I think the NBA players have some work to do on their own end here, hold themselves accountable uh, to behave a little bit better and put on a better example for, for the youth out there too. I mean, a lot of this starts to trickle down to AAU and high school basketball because they're watching their idols out there, you know, complaining to refs all the time for fouls. And it, you know, it's just not good for the game in general. So uh, in total agreement with both of you there, and uh, hopefully we see a change here soon. Now we got a big fourth quarter ahead of us here, Bruce. Um, Do you want to kind of lay out what we're going to be doing here tonight uh, to conclude this edition of 48 minutes? Sure. This is our mailbag segment. And, Tonight's question was submitted by Todd. I won't use Todd's last name, but those who worked at ESPN know who I'm talking about. Uh, He was a a great producer, a research guy. He's now working as a consultant, wonderful guy, listens to the podcast, really likes what we're doing. Thank you, Todd. He had the suggestion. He's there. I'd love to hear what you three guys think of 
What is your all NBA reserve starting lineup? In other words, guys who come off the bench, guys who are not primarily starters, who are, who is your starting five off the bench? And I talked about it with you guys and you guys love the idea. And I thought it was a great idea too. So, uh, if you want me to start, I'm happy to. Uh, if you want me to go in another order, if someone else is dying to go, let her rip. Let, let's start with our point guards. Let's go each position. Is that okay if we do each position? We'll start with point guards. We'll all sure. give our three point guards, and then we'll go to shooting guards. I have some honorable mentions I'd like to, to add, too. But, um, with the guards, there's a lot of honorable mentions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> World B, let's have you start us off here tonight. Well, I mean, the the obvious choice at point guard would probably be Malcolm Brogdon uh, coming off the bench. He's uh, made a big difference for the Celtics. Uh, you know, 15 points a game off the bench, four rebounds, uh, three and a half assists, or a little over three and a half assists. He's shooting 45% on threes when he's coming off the bench. So, you know, he he's, I think we'd all agree, he's everybody's, he's up for sixth man year. He's a favorite. Uh, at this point, you'd probably say, although there are some others that are, uh, looking like they could catch up, but he's he'd be my choice at the point guard spot. Bruce? I'm in agreement with you there, and uh, the numbers you cited, I agree with all of them, and I would just add he is an 89% free throw shooter, so for a guy who's going to have the ball in his hands a lot, because he's going to finish a lot of games for Boston. Yep. He, won't, he hasn't started a single game for him, but he's finished plenty of them, so to be an 89% you know, knockdown free throw shooter towards the end of games uh, makes him an obvious choice. Yep. Can't, I can't disagree with Malcolm there, but I'm going to switch things up here just to keep things interesting. I'm going to go with Javon Carter of the Milwaukee Bucks. I think Javon's had an incredible season for Milwaukee. He stepped up big time filling in for Drew Holiday when he was out. He's now started some games alongside Drew Holiday, and he's really just continued to improve his game. I mean, we're talking about a guy averaging eight points a game for the Bucks shooting 42.9% from downtown. So he's helping them with their perimeter shooting, something they've struggled with in some games. And he's been more one of the more reliable shooters uh, to knock down an open spot-up shot. So I like Javon Carter. And then my two honorable mentions would be Tyus Jones and TJ McConnell. Of course, we talked about Tyus. And then TJ McConnell put up some big numbers while Halliburton was out. They didn't get the, uh, the wins they were looking for, but he's always just such a, a, a solid, reliable backup point guard. So I like those two um, as my honorable mentions. And uh, Bruce, we'll let you kick things off here for the shooting guard position. Um, I'm going with Malik Monk of Sacramento. Uh, okay. Zero starts this season, 22 and a half minutes, 13 and a half points a game, two and a half rebounds, 3.9 assists. But I'm going to do major apologies to Emmanuel Quickly, uh, Benedict Mathurin, and even Jordan Poole, who started a lot of games, which is why I didn't put him in there. If he had started a lot fewer games than he had, he would have probably been my second guy. But uh, I'm going with Malik Monk. I mean, he's had a 33-point game. He's had a 45-point game off the bench this year. And obviously, Sacramento has made a huge contribution to a very successful uh, team. Good choice there. Will be. Uh, I went with Emmanuel quickly. Um and before I go any further, I would like to uh, congratulate Ross on making me look bad, taking the WVU guy in Javon <laughs> Carter as his point guard choice. That was nice. You know, that was really uh, being a sweetheart there. Uh, <laughs> quickly, he's having a career year. Uh, we saw him, you know, his, bi- his biggest game uh, last week, which uh, came against the Celtics, that 38-point effort. Um, he actually started that game in Brunson's place. Bruce will get over it. Um, but you know, as, as a guy off the bench, 12 and a half, 12 points a game, almost four rebounds and almost three assists, uh, trying to get, putting those points on the board when you have Brunson, you have RJ Barrett, uh, getting most of the minutes, uh, really is impressive. He's, he's shooting terrific, about 36% off the bench from three point range. He's having a great year and, uh, he's coming on just as when the Knicks need him right before playoff time. Well, you guys are making it really hard hard for me here because we got a lot of the same picks that aligned. So I had Emmanuel quickly, number one, Malik Monk, number two. Uh, my third guy is actually going to be Norman Powell. So I'll go ahead and focus in on Powell. He was a guy that was in the sixth man of the year award race before going down with injury, as Ohm uh, had talked about on our last show. Um, 
averaging 16.6 points on the year, shooting 41% from downtown, 47 and a half uh, from the field. I mean, he's having a heck of a season for a team that has lacked consistent consistency. Couldn't get a lot of uh, things going from Reggie Jackson, which is why they shipped him out of town. Played a little bit of point guard. Obviously, all he's doing is bringing it down and you know initiating the offense with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. But he's played extremely well off the ball in Los Angeles this year. So I think he deserves some credit here on tonight's show. And uh, World B, we'll get back to you here for our small forwards. Well, I put, I put Norman Powell in the small forward spot okay. I, just because uh, there were so many guards or whatever, and these guys are so interchangeable. And there's other guys you could put in there, but I, I put him there. You know, He's the leading scorer off the bench this year, 17 points a game. Uh, like I said, before he got injured, he was uh, having a great season. He's always been a you know, pretty solid player, and you know, it's a real shame he did get hurt because he was you – know, they need all you know his, all the depth he can get. Everybody, every team making a playoff push does. But yeah, his his scoring production off the bench can't be ignored when you know if you're trying to come up with an All NBA team for reserves. So he's my small forward choice. Bruce, I'm going with uh, Josh Hart. Uh, he started Fish 51 voice. games, 51 games for Portland, but he started zero games for New York. Okay, so he is truly a reserve now with the Knicks. Uh, 29 minutes a game for the Knicks, 11 points, almost six boards, 3.1 assists, energy, toughness, defense, grit, an ideal guy you want in the foxhole next to you coming off your bench, providing support for those uh, other guys that are, you know, you know, Randall, Quickly, Barrett, et cetera, et cetera. So Josh Hart is my small forward uh, reserve. Surprised World B didn't mention uh, Josh Hart there, but great choice. That was actually my number one as well. So I'll go ahead and skip to my number two. I've got Kyle Anderson of the Minnesota Timberwolves. I know he plays a little bit of four for them, but they categorize him as a, a small forward. Does a little bit of everything for you. He stepped up big with Carl Anthony Towns out of that rotation on the year, averaging 8.8 points per game. 4.9 rebounds, 4.1 assists, and he's shooting 43% from downtown, 51% from the field. He has been one of the more consistent Timberwolves when they've needed it most, helping out, obviously, Anthony Edwards in the absences of Carl Anthony Towns, Rudy, Rudy, Rudy Gobert at times. And he's a guy that's, like I said, vers- uh, versatile. He can play a little small ball four for you. He can bring the ball up, push it with pace as kind of like a point forward. Um, and uh, I think he's had an exceptional year making the transition to the Timberwolves this season. Bruce, you got us for power forward. Okay. He has started 17 games this year for the Milwaukee Bucks, but I'm going with Bobby Portis. Uh, <laughs> 20, Just under 26 minutes a game, almost 14 points, almost 10 rebounds. Again, when, when Giannis and Chris Middleton have missed games, Portis had to start. But when those guys you know, aren't, He's coming off the bench. Uh, I believe on Thursday night he got the start against the Nets, and he was like close to 20 points in the first half. He might have even been beyond 20. So uh, he's an energy guy. He's a guy who's just got a little bit of crazy in him. And I think if you're a Milwaukee, you like having a guy who's got a little bit of crazy in him because I think that there's a certain intimidation factor when he comes into the game going up because he's a starter quality guy, but he's but he's playing against second stringers a lot of the time. And I think uh, he's a great, great weapon for uh, for Coach Budenholzer and, uh, and, a, and a key guy. He missed a bunch of games because he was injured, but he's back now and he looks good. Yeah, and he leads all uh, bench guys in double-doubles. So he has had a, a tremendous season for Milwaukee, and uh, they need him quite a lot right now with Giannis off the floor. World B, who's your power forward? Uh, I took Bobby Portis. I uh, okay. Not to jump on uh, the bandwagon here, but, yeah, he's the number one rebounder coming off the bench. He'll win nine a game off the off the bench. It's, yeah, he started 17 games, but, yeah, we're, we're talking a guy when everybody's healthy, he's coming off the bench this year. Uh, he's been a great pickup, 12, 12 and a half points per game off the bench. It, you know, almost a double-double off the bench is, is very impressive. Uh, and this is just his numbers coming off the bench, you know, shooting 51% from the field. It's all impressive numbers for a veteran who, you know, he's a big key uh, for that team. They they need offense on the, on the box, and he provides it. Uh, he's an excellent shooter, and, you know, he, he's uh, – 
if they're going to go far and make a run, they need the depth, like you mentioned with Carter, and they need a guy like Bobby Portis to help them uh, get through those minutes. Totally agree. And um, I think a lot like uh, Malcolm Brogdon, uh, definite number one choice was Portis in, in power forward. That was mine as well. Uh, so going to go to my number two here, Jared Vanderbilt. I mean, we've talked about him on this show quite a bit. Uh, he had a heck of a season with Utah this year, really kept them competitive, played some big minutes, had some big moments with them. And now we're seeing it in a bigger limelight with the Los Angeles Lakers, especially in LeBron's absence, as Ohm stated. You know, he's even picking up Luka Doncic defensively, taking some of the tougher defensive assignments and uh, always a heck of a rebounder, currently averaging eight points, eight rebounds on the year. Uh, but I think a lot of what he does on the floor doesn't really show up in his statistics. I think he's just one of those gel guys, a good good guy that can really be that missing puzzle piece, and he's certainly proving that uh, with L.A. right now. So want to give some love to Jared Vanderbilt as well as he's had a tremendous season. Bruce, you got us for centers. My stenner, my reserve center, is the man that I had really hoped the Celtics would have gotten. Uh, <laughs> Naz I know Reed. where you're going. Naz yep. Reed, right? 11 starts for Minnesota because Gobert missed a bunch of games, so he ended up starting a bunch. And, of course, Carl Anthony Towns has missed a lot of games, so some of those starts might have been in place of him. 18 minutes, 10.7 points in 18 minutes, pretty good. Almost five rebounds, and he's shooting almost 66% on his two-point field goals. So he's working down low. He's working in the paint. He's he's been a really nice compliment when he comes off the bench. Anthony Edwards, Mister Outside, uh, Naz working the inside. Uh, Minnesota's had a good season. They're going to probably make the postseason in some way, shape, or form. Maybe as a number six seed, maybe as someone in the playing game. But Naz Reed has been really reliable, physical, really nice player. Uh, to me, a clear choice as the top reserve center in the NBA. World. Well, I wouldn't say it's a clear choice because I have somebody different. Uh, <laughs> well, then you're probably right then. Uh, I'm probably wrong. <laughs> uh, I went with Christian Wood. I put him at the center okay. spot. I know he started like Bobby Portis. He started some games for them, but he was when everybody's healthy. He's he's one. Of the, he's their top reserve off the bench, and he's a the, a great pick and pop guy for them uh, with Luca and stuff like that. When they run run, out, he's averaging about uh, coming off the bench. He's averaging. But uh, 15 points, almost 16 points a game, grabbing almost seven rebounds a game, shooting over 50%. He's about a 37% shooter from three-point range coming off the bench. He's he's excellent in that role. He started a lot last year, but so did Bobby Porter. So, you know, it, the same applies to Christian Wood. His, num- his shooting numbers are a little bit off from last year, and his numbers are better as a starter, which makes sense. You get more minutes. You you should produce more, but yeah, you know, when he's in the game, he provides a lot of offense for them. And with Luca hurt now, they're really going to need offense. And you know, hopefully for the Mavs' sake, he can provide it. Yeah, you guys put me in a tough spot here. Um, I, I had Nas Reed as well. I, I think he's had a tremendous year. Should be in the running for one of the most improved players in my mind. I don't think he'll win it, but I think he definitely deserves some consideration for uh, what he's done in the absence of Carl Anthony Towns and Gobert at times. Um, as for me, I'm going to go with Jock Landell of the Phoenix Suns. He was a good get uh, from the San Antonio Spurs. In DeAndre Ayton's absence, he had some big games for the Suns stepping up. Uh, now he's back to kind of just playing around uh, anywhere from 10 to about 20 minutes a night. Uh, but he still does a great job helping that team rebound the basketball. He can stretch the floor at times and knock down a three-pointer, giving the Suns a, a different kind of look that Aiton doesn't certainly really provide at this point in time out to the three-point line. Um, other names that came to mind for me, Chamiz Metu. He's had his spots this year with the Sacramento Kings playing a small ball five as they kind of shifted things with Mark uh, – Mark, um, Mike Brown's defense, I mean, he, he went with a small ball five rather than Rashawn Holmes or Alex Len, guys that they've elected to go to as backup bigs uh, in the past. And then uh, want to give some love to Mark Williams, the rookie with uh, the Hornets. Um, obviously, he was playing behind Mason Plumlee, and they saw enough in him to, to trade Plumlee at the deadline for not much in return, to be honest. And, uh, you know, Mark's done a great job and kind of given them a glimpse of hope of, you know, maybe a 
finally drafted a good player outside of LaMelo Ball. So uh, I, I really like Mark Williams too, but uh, Nas Reed runs away with the center spot if you ask me. But that was a lot of fun. I want to thank Todd for the question. Uh, hopefully he's got some more ideas for us in the future because it sounds like he's got a bright mind for good content on the 48 Minutes podcast. And, well, he uh, watches the show. That puts, he listens to the show. That means he has a you know pretty good mind right off the bat. Absolutely. Well said there will be. Uh, I want to get to my – best bets here and i've got my top five players for first basket bets that is uh who you think is going to score the first basket in a game and uh important thing to consider here as far as the start of a game is of course who do you think is going to win a tip so keep that in mind for the guys that i picked here uh on, on tonight's show my first is deandre ayton the suns love to get ayton involved early kind of get him invested on the defensive end by giving him an early touch um Certainly run a lot of plays with him in pick and rolls, whether it be Chris Paul, Devin Booker, or now Kevin Durant. And, of course, off a of screen, those ball handlers are going to attract a lot of attention. So it leaves DeAndre Ayton commonly open as he darts towards the basket. Another guy is Anthony Davis, especially right now. I think Davis is a great pick for a first basket bet. Uh, he is their only option as a primary scorer on the Lakers, and uh, he certainly is always active and can push the ball up himself and kind of go coast to coast with it if they don't win the tip. But I like Davis winning most of those tips to start a game. And then uh, I like Anthony Edwards and Rudy Gobert. Both those guys for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Of course, Gobert is going to steal the tip. Uh, Anthony Edwards typically gets one of the first couple of shots in the game. And if he were to miss one, Gobert's right there for the tip in. Or if he's doubled, they can drop it down low to him. The key is here, if you're going to pick two guys for one first basket bet, uh, especially um, on the same team, go ahead and bet that with the same units. And what I mean is if you're going to put a dollar on Anthony Edwards to score the first basket, you got to put a dollar on Rudy Gobert. Don't switch it up. You got to keep it even and equal. And lastly, uh, Clint Capella. He is usually a pretty good option as far as down the line there. He's not one of the favorites to be a first basket scorer, but with how we know Atlanta likes to miss a lot of shots and, and can't really shoot the ball. Um, he's going to have a lot of good attempts to, to tip him back up or get a put-back dunk or maybe a dump-off pass. So uh, those would be my five players to keep an eye on for your next first basket bets. And with that, that leads us right into our final thoughts. And, uh, Bruce, why don't you start us off? All right. Thanks again, Ross. Uh, 78-year-old Jim Beheim is out after 47 seasons as head coach at my alma mater, Syracuse University. Bayheim replaced Roy Danforth prior to the 1976-77 season when I was but a sophomore. The program was already kind of headed in the right direction under Danforth. They made the Final Four in 1975. They lost to Kentucky, who actually lost to UCLA for John Wooden's final national championship. But under Bayheim, Syracuse was an original member of the Big East and was one of the dominant teams in college basketball for nearly four decades. When the Orange moved to the ACC for the 2013-14 season, the athletic department's revenue went way up, but the basketball team's win totals went way down. In fact, SU basketball never really was the same once it joined the ACC. It certainly didn't belong in a geographical sense. Syracuse in the winter feels more like the North Pole than the Atlantic Coast. Uh, there were a few bright spots during the 10 years of ACC play, but as the coach entered his 70s and had to recruit against the likes of North Carolina and Duke, you could feel that the Orange basketball program had a more glorious past than it had a future. So is time. My former boss at ESPN, John Wildhack, now the athletic director at Syracuse, must have agonized over this decision. The new coach is Adrian Red Autry, who played for SU in the early 1990s. Coach Beheim leaves a legacy that includes a spot in the Basketball Hall of Fame. And while the final parting was less than amicable, time has a way of healing. And as a Syracuse alum, I want to thank Coach Beheim for all he did for the SU program, wish him well in retirement, and hope that someday the school will unveil a statue in his honor outside the arena formerly known as the Carrier Dome. Well said there, Bruce. I think there is a statue in the future for Coach Beheim, and want to congratulate him on a successful and impressive career at Syracuse. World B. There are reports out there that Lonzo Ball could need a third surgery on his right knee, and that would require about six months of rehab in addition to uh, his already re continued rehab. Uh, 
it's just another sad situation and a disappointing uh, one for NBA fans because it was a situation where he came in because of his father, LeVar, with, with so much hype and expectations. And for me, he he lived up to it. He more than held his own. He, be, you know, he performed really well. His career numbers are 11.5 points, 5.5 rebounds, 6, six assists and a one and a half steals and he was a decent shooter from outside 3 36% uh it's just the injuries have just never he's never been able to stay away from them in his career he's only been able to play including the rest of this season cuz he's expected to miss all of this season uh, he's only played in just over 50% of available games in his career it's a real disappointment he's never played more than 63 games in a season that came in the bubble year with the Pelicans. So it's just, I was disappointed to see that news because I liked him as a player and you really wanted to see what everything that he could do. And you watch uh, his brother LaMelo have such an excellent start to his career. And then he go down with, uh, have him go down with an ankle injury and miss the rest of the season. I hope somehow they can both come back and be a success because I know LaMelo watching him play has been a real treat for me as a Hornets follower. And I'm sure anybody who's followed the Lakers, the Pelicans, and now the Bulls, you, you got to be appreciative of the work that uh, Lonzo Ball has done for this uh, for this league so far. Absolutely. It's been a, a shame that he hasn't got his career off to the start that we had all hoped for, wishing him the best in his recovery, and hopefully he'll be back on the floor next season at some point. Um, as for me, mine kind of goes along with injuries, World B. Uh, don't know if this is a final thought or more of a venting session, but, um, you know, I'm currently in a fantasy basketball league, and I'm not sure how many of our listeners might feel my pain here. But I've got a team of Jalen Brunson, Kevin Porter, De'Aaron Fox, Brandon Ingram, Giannis, Luca, Brooke Lopez, Tyler Hero, and Anthony Davis. And in a 10-team league, I don't think I'm going to finish in the top six to make the playoffs. And the frustration in, in that is just the injuries piling up. Of course, star sitting has cost me all year long. And to be honest, it's left a foul taste in my mouth. I mean, it's becoming more and more of a struggle to try to put together a fantasy basketball team that's successful. And uh, based on the guys that I just listed, I think uh, I'd be crazy at the start of the year to not think I'm not going to make the playoffs. So um, for all the bas- uh, fantasy basketball fans out there, if you're not making your, you, you know, the postseason, if you got uh, Kevin Durant who's now out for five weeks, and you know you're gonna miss him for all the, your fantasy playoffs, and Luca's now hurt, I feel your pain out there, and uh, just needed to get that off my chest, guys. So appreciate uh, you you allowing me to do that. And uh, before we go here, Bruce, um, we do have a special guest on the next show, and. How about you tell us a little bit about who's going to be joining us? Yeah, I'll get to that in a quick second. World B, when you hear about all that talent that that he has on it, I think the problem might be with the general manager, Uh-oh. not the players. <laughs> I don't, what do you think, World? Well, I'm still trying to figure out how he put such a lineup out there with 10 teams. When he said that, I figured it was like a four-team league or something because he's got, he's got a lot of guys out there of superstars. And the injuries I feel bad for as a former fantasy league player myself, I can certainly understand that. But I expected you to say, oh, it's a five-team league or something. Not no. ten-team. That's that's pretty good picking, at least. You can't you can't uh, fault the general manager for injuries. So I'll, uh, I'll get <laughs> Thanks, I'm, just, I'm just busting his chops. He did a great <laughs> job drafting that team. I fired a coach immediately, but you know, yeah, who's, yeah. who's coaching the coach that team? Always gets the, the axe. That's it's me not too. Like Steve, is Steve Nash is coaching <laughs> that team. Is that what you said? Ouch. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, our next show, which is going to drop in the wee hours of Tuesday morning, uh, we're going to have a special guest, uh, Madison Square Garden Network Knicks play-by-play radio announcer Ed Cohen is going to be joining us. Ed is a great, great guy. Uh, Loves basketball, loves to talk about the Knicks, loves to talk about the league. I think uh, our loyal listeners are really going to enjoy listening to Ed. And if you have League Pass, you can get the Knicks radio call if you ever want to check him out listening you know, to some of the broadcasts. Uh, great guy, young guy, right? Uh, but, yep. I mean, he's following in, in a line of great Knicks announcers, you know, Marty Glickman to Marv Albert to Mike Breen and now Ed Cohen. So 
Bravo, Ed. And I'm sure uh, he's going to have some really good stories for us. So you won't want to miss that show uh, in the Monday night taping, early Tuesday morning uh, show. No doubt about it. Excited to have Ed on. Knew him uh, during my days with the Knicks on the Knicks coaching staff. And uh, great guy and uh, super knowledgeable on the not only the game, but of course on the Knicks. So really looking forward to hearing what he has to say about this year's New York Knicks team. And with that, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back with you next week. Be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Have a great weekend, everybody.